Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Welcome back, everyone. In today's episode, we are doing another overview. Last episode, we took a step way back and did an overview of Mormon's record as a whole. Today, we're going to narrow our gaze to the Book of Mosiah. Now, the Book of Mosiah is the first of Mormon's historical books that we read in the Book of Mormon, but that isn't how Mormon intended it to be. Remember that we are missing the first part of Mormon's historical record, We often call those the Lost Pages or the Book of Lehi, but given the fact that it's over 400 years between Lehi and King Benjamin, I think we can assume that there was probably a Book of Lehi, a Book of Nephi, of Jacob, perhaps others, perhaps even a first Book of Mosiah. We don't know. So even while we're treating Mosiah as the first of Mormon's record, we should remember and keep in mind what we don't have and stay curious. Let's begin today by looking at the organization of the book of Mosiah. Now, you're probably sick of hearing me say that one of the best ways to understand the message of an author is to pay attention to how they organize and structure their book. But I hope that the more attention that we give to structure, the more you recognize the value of attending to it. Sometimes, rather than trying to get in the author's head and identify their intent, which can be complicated by history and personality, culture, theology, language, and so forth, it's easier to just start with the logic of the inspired author and work from there. So that's what we're going to do today. The Book of Mosiah, at first glance, has kind of a complicated structure, especially for young readers who are still getting to know the book. One of the main things that complicates the structure, I think, are these two sections of the book where the storyline is interrupted by jumping back into the past. Let me explain what I mean. Mosiah begins in 124 BC in Zarahemla with King Benjamin's speech. Once the speech is over, immediately we get this search party that's sent out to discover what happened to a group of Nephites that we learned about at the end of the book of Omni, who decades earlier journeyed back from Zarahemla to the land of Nephi to reclaim it from the Lamanites. The search party is successful, and they find these long-lost Nephites who are now led by a man named Limhi. Limhi then fills the search party in on their backstory as Mormon begins quoting this first-hand account of a man named Zenith, who was an early leader of the group. It's in this first journey into the past that we get the story of Zenith's son, King Noah, of Abinadi, of Alma, and the founding of the Church of Christ. The story then catches up to the original timeline as Limhi's people are guided back to Zarahemla to reunite with the rest of the Nephite people. And it's in Zarahemla that they re-encounter Alma's people, who they haven't seen for many years. It's at this point that we take our second journey into the past as we get the backstory of Alma's people from the time they had to flee from King Noah's soldiers until years later when they reunited with the Nephites in Zarahemla. Finally, all storylines are now caught up to the original timeline, 
and the introduction of the church leads to conflicts and the eventual reorganization of the Nephite society, resulting in the disillusion of the Nephite kingdom by King Mosiah II, Benjamin's son. And that's where the book ends. It's easy to see how with so many names of places and people and the timeline folding back onto itself again, that people could get lost along the way in the book of Mosiah. But it turns out that there's actually a pretty simple way to understand this book. Now I'm going to be stealing a lot of the following insights from Joseph Spencer's book, Another Testament. I definitely recommend it. The easiest way to think about the book of Mosiah is that it consists of four parts. Part one takes place in Zarahemla. Benjamin gives his speech, coronates Mosiah, and Mosiah sends the search party to look for the lost Nephites. Part two takes place in the land of Nephi. And this is where we get the bulk of the story of the people of Zenith, including the creation of the church. Part three consists of the journey of two groups of people, the Zenithites and the church, back to the Zarahemla. And then part four takes place in Zarahemla and deals with the effect that the introduction of the church has had on the Nephites. Joseph Spencer takes his analysis one step further by arguing that Mormon actually structured this book chiastically. Chiasmus is a form of writing where the text mirrors itself. Now this next part might be complicated, so try and follow along and I'm going to try and simplify it as much as possible. Imagine a five-line paragraph where each line has a different topic. And we're going to label these topics A, B, C, okay? So line one would have topic A, line two would have topic B, line three would have topic C. Now, if we were to write this paragraph chiastically, lines four and five would have to mirror lines two and one. So line one is A, line two is B, line four would be B, line five would be A, and C would be right there in the middle. Hopefully you can picture what I'm talking about here if you're not already familiar with chiasmus. But if you're having trouble, think of climbing up one side of a hill, getting to the top and climbing down the other side. The purpose of organizing your text this way is to get you to focus on the middle or what's at the top of the hill. So if you didn't understand any of that, then the important takeaway is that Mormon wants us to focus on what's in the middle of his book. So let's find out what Mormon put in the middle. Again, this is from Joseph Spencer's work. Now, we're going to still use A and B and C to refer to different topics as we go through the book of Mosiah. So, line A would be the beginning of the book, the establishment of the kingdom with Mosiah's coronation. Line B then tells the story of the journeys from Zarahemla to the land of Nephi. Line C is where we get the story of Zenith's reign. Line D is Abinadi's speech. And then the second line D is the story of Alma founding the church. Then we start to go back down again. Line C, we then get the story of Limhi's reign. Line B, journeys back from the land of Nephi to Zarahemla. And finally, line A, the disillusion of the Nephite kingdom. Did you catch what two things were right at the center of the chiasmus or what two things were labeled D? It was Abinadi's speech and the formation of the church by Alma. Apparently, that's what Mormon really wants us to focus on. And he's used this kind of complicated 
structure where he goes back in time so that he can organize his book to put Abinadi's speech and Alma founding the church right in the center. Spencer also points out that you could really think of the book of Mosiah as the story of two kings, Benjamin and Noah, who get visited by heavenly messengers. Benjamin sees an angel and Noah hears Abinadi preach. And we get to see the reactions of those kings and how they differ and the impact that those kings then have on their people. As you can see, there are a number of ways to approach this book, and all of them add new insights as we are reading. One final insight that I think will be helpful to remember as we dive into the book of Mosiah. It has to do with the timeline again. Here I'm drawing on research done by John Hilton. Benjamin's speech and Abinadi's speech have a lot of striking similarities, to the point that it's hard to believe that one of them didn't influence the other one. Amalekai, the last author of the book of Omni, mentions that the people in Zarahemla have not heard from the people of Zenef since they left. So while it's possible that Abinadi, who was with the people of Zenef, had journeyed back and forth between the land of Nephi and Zarahemla, which John Sorensen estimates would take 22 days if you knew the way, while that's possible, it's unlikely. Hilton also points out that while we read Benjamin's speech before Abinadi's, Abinadi actually gave his speech first, chronologically speaking. Benjamin gives his speech in 124 BC. We don't have an exact year for Abinadi, but Alma the Elder, who was there at the speech, dies in 91 BC at the age of 82, which means he was born in 173 BC. Alma is described as a young man when Abinadi gives his speech, but he's also old enough to be one of Noah's priests. So, if we assume that Alma the Elder is maybe around 20 when he hears Abinadi speak, that means that Abinadi spoke around 153 BC, about 30 years before Benjamin's speech. Super interesting, right? Well, you might not think so, but I do. We don't really know why these two messages are so similar. Maybe Abinadi and Benjamin both received the same heavenly messenger. Maybe Abinadi was the heavenly messenger who visited Benjamin. Abinadi, after all, had already been executed and could very well have been sent to visit Benjamin. Or maybe Mormon has some hand in editing the two speeches to make them similar. Although, Alma writes Abinadi's speech almost immediately after he hears him speak. And Benjamin's words are recorded so that they can be circulated among the people. So Mormon probably has some pretty good primary accounts to work from. The answer really is that we don't know. It's just another thing about scripture that reminds us that there is more to learn. Now, that was a lot of talk about structure. So let's finish with some simple highlights and takeaways. Look, you may or may not care about how Mormon structures the book of Mosiah. For me, coming to understand how deliberately and frankly brilliant the authors of the Book of Mormon are has been one of the most edifying things about my study of the Book of Mormon. But you don't have to think that way. I do think it's important, though, that we realize who the two main characters in all of Mormon's writings are, the church and the Nephite government. And both undergo these dramatic shifts in this book. 
If you listened to the last episode, our overview of Mormon's books, then you know that the Book of Mosiah really sets the stage for the rest of the story. So pay attention to those two characters, especially the church. The other thing you should know is that there are some absolutely beautiful things to look forward to in the Book of Mosiah. King Benjamin's speech may be one of the best things ever written. Abinadi's courage and testimony of Christ is inspiring and heartbreaking. The baptismal covenants of Alma's people are our baptismal covenants to mourn with those who mourn, comfort those who stand in need of comfort, and stand as a witness of Christ in every way, in every when, and in everywhere. The people of Alma then wait patiently on the Lord as they are oppressed in the land of Helam. Later, Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah go through this dramatic conversion, which has been the prayer of many parents over the years for their wayward children, and the reality for many who have found redemption in Christ after wandering far astray. Finally, King Mosiah, the emphasis on the accountability of the people and the danger of wicked leaders is both an invitation and a warning that is as relevant now as ever, even these thousands of years later. On the other hand, just as we have these amazing examples of discipleship, we also have evidence of the destruction that wickedness brings. King Noah and his priests lead a covenant people toward idolatry and bondage. King Noah's priests abduct and oppress young Lamanite women, and those same priests then turn around and oppress Alma and the Church of Christ. We also see the destruction that can be caused by dissenters who turn their efforts toward destroying faith and the Church of Christ. Alma will call his actions in this regard murder. So, that's our overview of the book of Mosiah. There are going to be some beautiful things and there are going to be some heart-wrenching things. I'm absolutely stoked to walk through this book with you. I hope that as you and your family read, you will feel the urgent relevancy of the incomparable book of Mosiah. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at soundcloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Mm-hmm.